The subject of this evening's talk is meditation and intensity. In the religious traditions, both of East and West, there has been and still is <coughs> a strong willingness and practice to put up with a great deal of pain and hardship, sacrifice and austerity in the pursuit of the religious life. And there are, of course, many expressions of the willingness of men and wi women to put themselves through quite severe situations in order to, to change, in order to grow, in order to come to, a, to, come to discoveries which are not just self-generated. And so within the traditions here of, of India, there has, there has been these various practices which reflect the somewhat uh, austere approach to the religious life. And I remember quite some, I remember some years ago going to one of these Kumbha Melas. It's one of these large religious festivals which take place in India every few years. And attended by several million pilgrims and a large number of uh, religious activities taking place there. And among some of those who were there were people, people native to this country, engaging in um, their practices of austerity. I remember seeing as an, ex as an example one sitting with a uh, surround, he'd made a number of small fires around him, part of this uh, uh, fire uh, ritual, and he was si seated in the midday sun, sat all, all through the day, with just undergoing and experiencing tremendous heat of the body, both generated by the, the fierceness of the sun directly overhead, as well as these uh, a ring of fires which he had made around himself. There's a whole tradition too of fasting for uh, long periods. There's the tradition of um, uh, nakedness. There's, there's the tradition of being totally without anything. And then there's of course the severity too of the forms of self-denial which <coughs> take place, the psychological as well as physical self-denial. And one reads of these, of these various uh, practices and they certainly can seem very far removed from, <coughs> from our world, from our, from our consciousness, from, from our whole set of values in life. And, in, and one also, as I mentioned, comes into contact, sometimes directly, sometimes through hearsay and reading, of some of these forms of austerity and self-denial which are more at the psychological level. The person who decides to go into retreat for a, a three-year period, 
who has absolutely no contact with any other human being except perhaps a, an arrangement for the food to be um, delivered uh, once a day. The, or the person who, <coughs> who lives a life as a, a wandering uh, ascetic um, takes a, a vow of silence and in that those seeing <coughs> people maintaining a very strict, severe discipline of non-communication. And there are these various practices in that way which can be, which are sometimes sustained over, over many years. And, and these practices certainly are still being applied in this country. One also hears too, and one reads, and, and it seems that one of the things which begin to emerge out of one's own practice, out of one's own meditative development, that at times the mind wants to make it more um, intense, more severe, more austere in some way or other. <laughs> and, what, and what one begins to notice in the course of one's practice, that even some of those things which seemed particularly severe in one way or other seem much less so. I mean, a fairly um, common example of this is the um, resolution which is recorded in the text by um, Gautama Siddhartha when he went to sit under that tree and he said he made a resolution that until he came to some uh, greater clarity uh, he wasn't going to move, he was going to stay there. And, and as, is, and as is recorded, he, he sat right through the night that night. And some people will say, what an extraordinary strong determination that that person had to just to, to work and meditate and sit right through the night and not make any move. But given the fact that he, in the previous six years, had been doing a wide variety of practices, some of them far more severe than that particular practice, the the willingness and the motivation to meditate right through the night, I'm sure he would have considered to be um, uh, just a small gesture and nothing particularly um, austere or self-sacrificing about it. So these various practices which have and are, are taking place, as one's own practice begins to develop, they be become a little bit more relative. And so sometimes when a person says, how, how could you, whoever you may be, how could you stand it, just being alone, living in a cave like that for so, for so long, being so isolated? And people find that with, with some practice, and a practice which goes in that kind of direction, isolation, aloneness, solitude, and that long tradition of religious practice, it's not in a, any way that it's difficult, it's something which feels appropriate, and because it feels appropriate, one feels very comfortable with it. And it doesn't have the feeling of being a great sacrifice to let go of rapping. Now, when one comes to one's own practice and the whole field of med meditation and, and intensity and what that means for us, I do feel in this particular area that it seems to easily create 
an atmosphere of misunderstanding. And what I mean by that is that in our culture, Western uh, culture, if we can call it that, um, there's, there's a, some, there's a tra tradition, shall we say, of doing things, getting things done, and achievement. And this is a very strong tradition which is um, ingrained, indoctrinated, one might say, into our personhood. And certainly some cultures in the, in the West are, seem to be more subjected to the strong goal orientation, achievement, and using the willpower and the drive to reach that end. One might give cons uh, um, points out, say, I might notice um, places like... Um, the east coast of the states, West Germany, Japan, within the cultural framework of the society, there's one notices there, as with many of us, as with a countless number of people in this world, there's a driving force. And what very easily happens within this, within this driving force, one believes intensity is a necessity. And what happens is sometimes for some there is an intensity in one's life. One is intense about life, one is brought up to be intense about issues and so forth, and one transmits this intensity into meditation. <coughs> now, given the long background of a certain intensity within the religious tradition, given the intensity of mind which we might bring to it, one has a catalyst for increasing intensity and making much of it. Now what happens within our own mind is we hear about different practices, we hear about different meditations, we hear about different traditions and different approaches, and we hear, and we say, that is very intense. It was, and perhaps one is engaged in an activity which was very intense. Religious, psychological, whatever it might be. And very easily, with the, uh, there goes accompanying that a conclusion. A conclusion, because it was intense, it was good. Be or, because it was intense, it was more advanced. Because it was intense, it was better than something else which was less intense. And so intensity becomes a criteria for development. And this happens a lot. It happens a great deal in, in, spirit, in spirituality. Because somebody is fasting and sitting full lotus and not moving for several hours, etc., etc., that is obviously an indication that person is really going places. <laughs> That's intensity. And so we tend in our, in our world view, and I would say in the immaturity of our religious view, 
to bring intensity to meditation and somehow or other think intensity is the yardstick of progress. Some people find they participate in a course of whatever that course may be. The person comes out of it over several days, weeks, or whatever it may be. And the primary memory, the primary influence of that period of time was how hard it was, how intense it was, how much one suffered, how much one went through, etc., etc. And this becomes. And so in one's communication with others, this is what one has experienced. One loves to tell other people, of course, it's very impressive. <laughs> but is it actually anything to do with religious discovery? And so it's not unusual for a person, a man or a woman, to keep placing himself or herself in intense situations and sometimes in increasingly more intense situations in the rather mistaken belief that that's going to take me somewhere. And perhaps we need to give ourselves the freedom to question the whole hypo hypothesis of this. Now one of the characteristics, too, of this identification with intensity as some measure of one's person, is that when there's a, when there's a lot of it taking place, and it's taking place <coughs> at the collective level, it can very easily produce, in that collective level, an identification with that form of experience. The identification with it makes one feel that this is more advanced, as I mentioned, but also what accompanies that very much is <coughs> that it brings about the group mind which withdraws. It's a peculiar phenomenon, maybe a little bit hard to follow now, there's a situation where people are doing things very intensely together. That intensity of that brings about a certain kind of isolation from other people. That isolation gets reinforced by comparing, which is boosting up one's own thing, putting down something else simply because it isn't so intense. And with that, with that kind of isolation, it brings this withdrawal. It brings and breeds insularity of thinking. And it's because the, the basic theme of it is just isn't being questioned, isn't being looked at. Now sometimes, unfortunately, we get the message from outside of ourselves. We get the message in form of people who are like myself, who are teachers, who say again and again, practice harder, work harder, keep with it, stay with it, go into it. 
whatever. So the message come, is coming across from outside of oneself, and one also hears, to support it, the varying stories of how hard this person practiced, how hard this, how long this person sat still without moving, how much this person gave up, etc., etc. So with the encouragement, plus the stories which are often worse than the encouragement in, in so far as they produce so many images of how one ought to be, put, put the two together, if one has either the feelings of um, difficulty in some way or other, it produces the drive inside, I've got to get somewhere, or if there is intensity and that drive is there already, it reinforces it. And it needs to be looked at about this relationship of these two, uh, this phenomena of this intensity. Sometimes we, what, we, what happens to us in our practice and in our approach is we forget why we're practicing. And, and it's rather, I feel rather unfortunate in our mind that, and I think this is reflects often the boredom of life and the disinterestedness and the dullness of life which has come in through our conditioning and so forth, that we keep looking for fresh experiences. We don't mind what the form of the experience is, but if it's fresh, if it's different from what we've known, then it's good. And so what very easily happens is, what one keeps putting oneself into this experience, whatever it might be, in order to get a new experience. It happens again and again. I remember one, one, one situation, for example, some um, um, years ago, um, when um, Bhagawan was down there at uh, Pune, and there were lots of workshops uh, take, taking place there, and there'd be a whole bulletin board. I mean, you, you could do 20 or 30, uh, this was in the early days, I think it went, it went even up more than that, <coughs> 20 or 30 different kind of workshops. Some of them good, some of them bad, some of them indifferent, the, the, the usual uh, s spectrum. And so some people found themselves going from one to another. And I recall in my uh, uh, stay and uh, conversations with uh, some of the people there, it was, you start with this, and then you work up towards this. And it was a peculiarity that at that time, a real hierarchical structure had developed. And when you were ready, then you did this. And you know what this was? Vipassana. You started off dynamic meditations and getting your energy flowing, and then you would do some encounter groups and some other kind of workshops, and then after doing so many workshops at that time, then the vipassana, because that was in, in the intensity of sitting, or whatever it might be. And so there was this, this kind of hierarchical structure, I'd say, had evolved. But of course, for some, that varies considerably from one person to another. One person doing a, a communication workshop can be incredibly intense, and sitting full lotus 12 hours a day can seem like a picnic. It, it's all very much 
<laughs> well, maybe not a picnic, but anyway. <laughs> it all is very much related to oneself. And the question <coughs> one asks oneself, how much am I thirsting for more experience in life? How much am I as a hu human being feeling I've got to make some, something more severe on myself, I've got to get at myself, I've, I've, I've got to really push my mind or whatever. <coughs> now in, the, in this looking in this, in this area, if meditation, if awareness and observation is not so much about pursuing new forms of experience and creating them out of oneself, one must ask oneself, well, what's it for? What's the observation for? What's the inquiry for? What's the looking at things carefully for? Now, sometimes, very easily, a confusion arises. Again, you can, can follow. I always make, always make more and more allowances on the first days of a meditation retreat because it's been a long day, some will say an incredibly intense day, and come the end of the day it can be hard to keep hearing, keep, to keep listening. It can be hard to keep speaking too, but anyway, I won't go into that. So, sometimes, one is meditating, one is medit and, and working hard, working conscientiously, and then the mind begins to move. Agitation comes in. Waves of the mind come in, um, confusion, I emotion. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Or has everybody kind of transcended all this mundane stuff? So the mind creates, experiences these kind of waves. And the message which one often receives is, this is your karma. This is the past stuff. This is stuff coming up, this is the old coming into the present. One can look at it like that and say, it is. But, it may not be precisely what's happening. Sometimes in the course of meditation, in just observing, in just giving attention to, mind and the unconscious levels begins to harness what it needs to throw out into consciousness and there is a definite, spontaneous, necessary release into consciousness. And that truly is the old flowing through, which one allows through, which one comes to terms with, allows itself, one looks at it, allows it to, to burn out. One doesn't make much of it. But it's not always that, like that. In other words, one, if one is applying too much intensity to one's practice, too much control over one's practice, trying to dominate the mind or whatever, at some point along the journey, one creates the waves. In other words, it's not the past coming into the present so much, but the will in the present which is disturbing the harmony, the balance of the mind. And in that disturbance, one can be saying, oh, I'm working something out. I'm just burning out my old stuff, or whatever it might be. But one may not be doing that at all. One may just be just stirring. 
creating the waves and think, I'm working it out, I'm working it out, I'm, wor I'm drowning, I'm working it out. <laughs> so as one develops more skillfulness in practice, looking carefully in a sustained way, in a relaxed way, one is able to see more clearly. When is it more? My willpower and my forcing and my striving, my intensity, which is creating this kind of mind state for myself, or when is it old flowing through, which one has to be spacious enough and develop a spaciousness to allow it to come through into consciousness to finish. Now, in our working with the present and with this whole area of finding our rhythm and our harmony with, with the present, again, what can very easily occur in this connection with the present and in intensity is that there is a preoccupation in life, I would say, with means and end. Very important awareness in life. You know, life we, our life can be just limited to intention, action and result. And we can just live in that cycle and not have any space in our life to say, perhaps there's another way of seeing. So we, and we can very much get, as I say, intention, action and result. <coughs> And one of the ways that expresses itself when there's a real charge behind what we're doing, real investment, I've really got to get to that place, whatever it might be, that the intention, of course, is important because of the charge that's there. That gets transferred into the means, into the action, the, what one is trying to do in order to get somewhere. And that gets into that means can follow, you're still with me? That when it gets into that means, and when one gets to the end, that end which one wanted to reach, one can't enjoy it. One can't appreciate it. And in fact, sometimes one feels just burnt out. I'm really going to be, I'm really going to whatever it might be. It can be travel, I'm really going to go from here to there. I'm, and I'm, when I get there, I'll be so glad I've reached the end of the journey. It would be great. And one's intention is there. One, one is oblivious to the means, what's happening around you, the life expressing itself, the nature, one's own being, etc., etc. And when one gets to the destination, one feels tired out, burnt out, it's not like I thought it was going to be. That's intensity in the journey. Now, in the same way with the spiritual journey and the spiritual practice, one can produce an intensity to it, and in producing an, an intensity to it, one keeps saying, why am I suffering so much? Why don't I experience any joy in this practice? Why don't I experience <laughs> any lightness, any sense of well-being, or whatever it might be. Why? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Why? Because I was born in America. Why? Because I was born in Germany, in England, in Timbuktu. It doesn't matter. 
but one is still carrying it. That's the thing, the background, the early history of it, that is not so important, but what are we bringing into our present? It's far too easy for us in our, in our whole, whole personality, in our whole makeup, about anything in life is to be that we become too intense about things. And when we're losing that balance of mind, we've all had this experience where one little thing, one little situation, one little inconvenience, <coughs> one little event, and we find it rushing out of us. There's no peace in that way of living for us. There's no harmony, there's, there's no feeling of integ integration with change in the nature of life. <coughs> Another way that this intensity shows itself and this identification with that form of experience is not only with this means and end, it's not only with striving and and pushing ourselves, but it also shows itself in the whole area of posture. And what's happened, rather unfortunately, and there is, this, there is a subscription to the idea that sitting is what it's all about. That's where it is at. And anything else is a distraction, is a kind of holiday, is a, is, a bre is a break, is an avoidance, or whatever. And if you sit, and you sit, and you sit, then you're really going to get somewhere. And it's hard, again, to let go of these ideas, to, to give up this way of thinking in life. Spirituality is about finding love. It's about integration of being. It's about seeing into the nature of things. It's about wisdom and compassion and finding God, truth. And, and very easily the form becomes more important. And we build up the, the image. <coughs> and so other activities seem less important. You know, and, then, and the hierarchy is created. Yoga at the bottom of the list sitting at the top of the list, walking, well, we put it in somewhere, or in the, in the middle, or whatever, and the mind begins to think along those lines because of this continuity of attachment. And sometimes that divisiveness is, par is made into the statement frequently used, I hear Westerners um, using it ad nauseum, Sitting is subtle, walking is gross. Now, what mind makes that? The mind makes that division. The mind says subtle and, and, and gross. The mind says this is more better advanced than the other. And it, and, it, and it creates that duality. And I feel that when that is occurring in that way, it reflects more than anything the voice of inexperience. It, I feel it tends to reflect and indicate 
that when one says this, one has not experienced walking. One has not done in a sustained and committed, committed way and in an exploratory way the whole area of m total, complete mindfulness of being w in that state of walking in one's environment. And because one hasn't done that and hasn't explored that through in the way that one might have explored sitting through, one tends to undermine it and dismiss it. And this tends to happen a lot within these. <coughs> and so rather than you and I subscribing to anybody else's view and opinion on these things, let's explore for ourselves. Let's be an adult. Let, let's, let's, let's be a mature human being who says, okay, I've heard this opinion, and I've heard that opinion, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to see if this division is... is is an authentic division or not. Now just as I, in my communication, in my, my experience, I do not see, I don't see the division. And that, that walking meditation can be and is a tremendous tool to use for clarification, for some real ongoing self-knowledge and for really seeing to the nature of things. And by personally, if I may say, um, can, can remember frequently and still and, and in many situations in my daily life where just in walking and being mindful and conscious and being in that way that insight and understanding just comes spontaneously and magically into one's heart and mind. So the, the, these, these areas of ex exploration and, and inquiry and looking with care and interest reduces some of that intensity. It gives one another kind of feeling about one's practice, another kind of feeling about life. And when one sees that one's building up and getting too much attached to the form and the way and the posture and the method and the technique and building all of that up, one just becomes aware, hey look, I'm doing it again, I'm I'm building, I'm building, I'm building, and building is building blocks. Building is always building walls. It's building barriers, it's building, it's building division, it's building alienation, it's not bringing out of oneself one's own discoveries. Now, within, within that, shall we say, field of uh, in <coughs> inquiry and looking into that area, it's also, once again, of course, finding this balance. If you recognize as a, as a person in this time, this day, today, that the energy is low, as an example. If you recognize in yourself that it's useful and skillful for you to be putting out more effort. It's useful and skillful to make the yoga in the morning to, to stretch out the body. It's useful and skillful to sit through the last sitting <coughs> to, work <coughs> <coughs> to work with that, to stretch oneself a little bit. That doesn't mean to say that by doing that, oh God, I'm just subscribing to my intensity or whatever. 
It, it, it's finding the balance with oneself where one needs just to stretch oneself a little bit more, where one needs to apply a little bit of more effort, where one needs to let go a little bit, where one needs to cut down on whatever it might be, eating, sleeping or whatever. And our giving care and attention to that contributes to finding this receptivity of being. I put it like that. A receptivity of being in which the energy begins to feel reasonably well balanced from the moment that one wakes up in the <coughs> morning right through to the end of the day. So instead of it being, you know, I'm really going to go for it today, I'm really going to work really hard, you know, and then immediately after lunch, crashed out, you know, oblivious of the birds in the trees and whatever it might be, because it's out, out. That form of relationship, intensity, burnout, intensity, burnout. You know, it, it, it just repeats this working 90, 9 to 5 syndrome, Monday to Friday, weekend to recover from it, back on Monday. <laughs> One brings that mind into a situation like here and one forgets to look at life in an, and discover a way of living <coughs> radically different from that. So our days here together are one truly of what period of the day does one, if there is a period, which one feels very tired, very burnt out? Which is the more difficult times of the day? Being a little bit more clear about that, seeing if one can explore that time a little bit more carefully. Now I find as a use, useful kind of measure for myself is to put the day into, into four areas between wake up and breakfast, breakfast to lunch, lunch to tea, tea to sleep. There, there, one might say there's four times <coughs> or periods of the day, meditatively speaking. And within those four periods there's a great deal of activity which is occurring. <coughs> <coughs> And the developing of the skill is such <coughs> that one <coughs> endeavours to m find a sense of some degree of evenness throughout the whole course of the day. So that there's not a tremendous contrast between the first sitting of the, the day with the music, the last sitting of the day after the evening talk. And that, that, that when that flow of energy begins to flow reasonably evenly through the day coupled with a mindfulness and a sustained mindfulness one is maximizing the conditions for seeing things more clearly about oneself one's personality <coughs> one's psychology one's activities one's being and seeing more clearly <laughs> The whole value system of, of, of life. What's, what's significant in life? What's, what, what's valid in life? What's, what's intelligence in life? What does it mean to see nature, see life, more, just more clearly? What does it mean to feel life more clearly and, 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 to, sense, and to sense it and, and all that is implied in that? 
So finding this as reasonable balance of our energy through the day with the mindfulness and quiet observation maximizes this receptivity. And through that we learn, we see, we discover because we're receptive. And, it's, and, and a characteristic of that, in that real subtlety of being, one might say, which is independent of posture, which nothing to do with sitting and walking as such, but is a, it is a state of being, <coughs> that within that, within that um, activity, the whole f- thing of it being very intense, and the whole concept and structure and belief that meditation and intensity are related, really begin to fall away, really begins to fade away. And one has simply grown out of that, I would say, rather early view of what spirituality and meditation is all about. One rather, rather grows out of in being concerned with all the stories and the accounts of how hard and how intense people practice. One rather leaves that behind because the day itself is so expansive and so full and, and is an ongoing revelation. And one is receptive to it. And in that one, as I mentioned, grown out of some of these images and ideas and intensities which we have um, believed in and got ourselves caught up with, which we have identified with. And in freeing ourselves from that, love and beauty and clearness and brightness and all that's worthy of discovery in life becomes directly accessible. Male beings develop in meditation. Male beings abide with receptivity. Male beings live with an an expansive awareness. 